Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. This is going to sound like a seminary joke, but bear with me. What happens when you cross a common misconception about Christianity with the natural human understanding of the law and gospel? Well, you're probably going to wind up with a very frustrated follower of Christ. Today, John is going to walk us through some common fallacies about the Christian life and explain how they cause so much strife in today's believers. These messages come to us from the Gospel Mystery of Sanctification series, and here's John with part one of Common Misconceptions About the Christian Life. I have a question for you. How do you keep God's law? How do you keep the great commandment, love God, love your neighbor? How do you obey God's moral will for your life without killing yourself through repeated failed attempts at pursuing holiness? Right? That question is the goal of our current study on the gospel of mystery of sanctification. The goal, what we're trying to teach you in this study is simply this, is uh, how to keep God's law, how to be obedient, how to be a law keeper, how, how to keep the great commandment that you heard read to you this morning that elicits confession because we can freely confess. We, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, Right? We have failed to do this, not only in what we have done, but in what we have not done. We've done this in thought, word, and deed. And so how do we learn to keep God's law in a way that is pleasant and joyful rather than oppressive and exasperating? The goal for this study is for God to enlarge your heart so that you can run in the way of his commandments with joy. Right? Right? with thanksgiving, with gratitude in your heart. Yet too often, the, our pursuit of holiness isn't joyful. It's oppressive and it's exasperating. Why is this? Why are our attempts to obey God's moral will so difficult and so hard to learn? Two reasons why the gospel way of obedience, this pursuit of holiness, is so difficult to, to, to understand and learn. Okay, so let's review from last week. Here's the first reason. The, the gospel way of obedience is difficult and hard for us because the gospel is far above the way that we naturally think. What we looked at last week is that we naturally think as law keepers because this is how God created us from the very beginning. We saw last week that God's law, it's called the conscience, is a doctrine whose seed is ridden by nature in our hearts. And so because of this, we come into this world ready for action. We are wired for law. We hear it clearly. We understand the law clearly. But in contrast to the law, the gospel is a doctrine which is not at all in us by nature. The gospel, as we saw from Matthew 16 from Jesus, is, is revealed from heaven and it totally surpasses natural knowledge. And so that apart from the regeneration and illumination of the work of the Holy Spirit, the gospel cannot be understood. The, the best illustration in the Bible of how impossible it is to recognize Jesus in the gospel is, is Luke 24 with the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. They are walking and talking and looking at 
right in front of their very eyes, the risen, resurrected Lord. And they say, hey, did you know what happened this weekend? And Luke says their eyes were kept from seeing him. This is how dead in sin we are. And and this is why even as believers, Paul in Ephesians 1, as we saw last week, he says, I continually pray that God would open your eyes so that you can know what is the hope to which you've been called. We must have the illumination of the Holy Spirit. This is why we pray week after week, right before we preach, come Holy Spirit and open up our eyes because we confess that apart from the work of the Spirit, we can't understand this even as believers. And so the gospel is this strange announcement to the world that looks foolish and sounds foolish and powerless. And the gospel, even to some extent, remains strange even to us who believe while we're pilgrims in this life. So that's what we looked at last week. Here's a second reason why the pursuit of of holiness is so difficult for us. It's so difficult for us and hard to learn because learning the gospel way of obedience requires double the work. Listen carefully. Learning the gospel way of obedience requires double the work. What is this double work? First, first you have to unlearn many of your old, deep-rooted notions of the way that the Bible calls holiness. And second, you have to learn the true gospel way of godliness. So you have to unlearn and you have to learn. It's double the work. Listen to what Walter Marshall says. He says this, He says, you have to unlearn many of your old, deep-rooted notions of how to become godly and become a fool that you might become wise. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, on the other hand, you must pray earnestly to the Lord to teach you the way of godliness and search his word to get this knowledge. Listen to what some of the biblical writer says, and he quotes the psalmist. Oh, teach Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep them to the end. You see, teach me, and I shall keep them. You see that? Listen to this. Teach me to do your will. Psalm 143, verse 10. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. He prayed that prayer for believers. What a beautiful prayer. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. We're going to come back to that. And so he says, surely these saints knew what God's law required of them, but what they lacked was power. What they lacked was the way. What they lacked was the means for keeping God's law. They knew what to do, but they didn't have the power and knowledge of how to actually do it. So I had a conversation this week with Bruce McRae. Bruce McRae is the editor of the modern um, English edition of Marshall's book. 
And this is what he said about Marshall's quote right here. And I, it was so good. I want to share it with you. He says, because he was a pastor himself. And he says, to be quite blunt, from a pastoral point of view, this is what Marshall means. And this was from his own experience as a pastor. He says, I have to spend half my time helping people unlearn and repent of the works righteousness nonsense that some other churches taught them about how to get holy. And he said, this is really difficult for them. And he says, sometimes it's been impossible. He says, that is why it is so important to get people on the right gospel path from the beginning. I can tell you after leading this church now for a decade, I can confirm the truthfulness of Bruce's statement. I have seen this process of unlearning and relearning take place many times in our church. I'm going to give you three examples. Uh, When Eric and Heather first started attending Paramount Church, I was preaching through the book of Galatians. At the time, they were just a young couple dating, right? I think you were just out of high school, right? Is that right? Yeah, something like that. And so they were attending at the Foundation Academy, and I've never forgotten what they shared with me. Um, They said we came week after week for a whole year, and they said, and we didn't really understand anything you were preaching. That's the way to encourage the pastor, right? You You might want to rethink your vocation at that point. Um, But one Sunday, as I was preaching, and I think it was through chapter 3 of Galatians, right, Eric? Was it chapter 3? I think you said it was chapter 3, if I'm not mistaken, because I've never forgotten when you said you didn't understand anything. (laughs) Um, I was halfway through chapter 3, and Eric said that the light, he was sitting there, and all of a sudden, this light bulb in his head went off, and he immediately began to understand everything he'd been learning over the past year, right then. Jared, where are you this morning? Jared, our great piano player. As a church plant, we had just gotten started, uh, and we didn't have a piano player. We didn't really have much of anything back then. And so um, uh, one of his friends recommended, they said, hey, I know a guy who can play a piano. Why don't you go talk to him and see if he'd be interested in playing? I don't think he's really in in, in a church or whatever. And and I said, okay, what's his name? Because when you're a church plant, you're just like, "Ah, I need help. (laughs) Um, so I, so I sat down with Jared. We went to the Healthy Way Cafe. It doesn't exist anymore at the town center. And uh, we met for quite a long time, and we talked, and we chatted, and, and I, I just I gave him the gospel, all right? And I'll never forget, Jared, when I got done, and I'm thinking, man, that was, you know when you're like really giving the gospel, and you're thinking, man, that went really good. It was really smooth, and... I'm thinking to myself, that was pretty good, John. You know, you got. He looked at me with this blank stare and he goes, and I quote, this is what he said I don't understand anything you just said. (laughs) I've never forgotten that lunch, Jared. (laughs) Um, Here's the third example, uh, Russ. He's in the back, Russ. Russ is one of our first founding members of our church, too. 
I remember when Russ first started coming to Paramount. Russ came to our church after having been steeped in this uh, soul-killing, assurance-destroying, so-called uh, teaching called Lordship Salvation. It's where you confuse sanctification and justification. And when you do that, you just destroy believers' confidence in God. So he, he came to us pretty much a wreck. <laughs> and... Um, we sat down, we started going through a book called Christ the Lord that Michael Horton edited. Uh, the, uh, it's a great book. It's, it's called Christ the Lord, the Reformation and Lordship Salvation. Because I had been taught this exact same wretched view of the Christian life, and it just about nearly knocked me out for the count, literally. Um, and so I started teaching him this different way of holiness, this process of unlearning and relearning with Russ took time. But eventually, by the grace of God, just like with Jared and Eric and Heather, uh, he awakened to the gospel way of obedience, and, uh, and he was freed from this enslaving system of lordship salvation. But this process of unlearning and relearning, this deconstruction and this reconstruction, it takes time. It, it doesn't happen overnight. This double work is a gradual process of unlearning and relearning the true way of godliness. So here's what I want to ask you this morning. What are some of these mistaken, old, deep-rooted ideas of how to pursue holiness that we need to unlearn, that keep us captive, so that the pursuit of holiness is oppressive and exasperating rather than joyful and gratitude? Let me just share two of the most common misconceptions about the Christian life. Uh, Jerry Bridges has a helpful discussion of these two misconceptions in his book called The Discipline of Grace, God's Role, and Our Role in the Pursuit of Holiness. It's a great book. Here's the first misconception. Here's the first deep-rooted misconception that we have to unlearn. It's thinking like this, that although we are saved by grace, we earn or forfeit God's blessings in our daily lives by our performance. To illustrate this, Jerry Bridges has a good day, bad day scenario. And he says, I want you to consider two radically different days in your life. So do that this morning with me. Consider two radically different days in your life. Here's the good day. The first one's a good day. It's a good day spiritually for you. And he says, it goes like this. You get up promptly when your alarm goes off. You have a profitable, quiet time as you read your Bible and pray. Your plans for the day generally fall into place, and you somehow sense the presence of God with you throughout the day. And to top it off, you unexpectedly have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who is truly searching. As you talk with the person, you silently pray for the Holy Spirit to help you and to also work in your friend's heart. So that's a good day. Here's the second day. The second day is a bad day spiritually for you, right? He says it goes like this. You don't immediately get up when your alarm goes off. Instead, you turn it off and go back to sleep. When you awaken, it's too late to have a quiet time. He says, so you hurriedly gulp down some breakfast and rush off to the day's activities. You feel guilty for oversleeping and missing your quiet time. He says, things go generally wrong all day. 
You become more and more irritable as the day wears on. You don't sense God's presence at all in your life. (laughs) And he says, and that evening, you unexpectedly have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who is truly interested in trusting Christ for salvation. So you had a good day, and you had a bad day. And then he asked this question. He says, would you enter those two witnessing opportunities with a different degree of confidence? Would you be less confident on the bad day than on the good day? Would you find it difficult to believe that God would bless you and use you in the midst of a rather bad spiritual day? And then he says, if you've answered yes to these questions, you have a lot of company among believers because I've described these two scenarios to a number of audiences. And I've asked, would you respond differently? And and invariably, he says, 80% said yes. He says that 80% would be less confident of God's blessing while sharing Christ at the end of a bad day than they would be after a good day. And so then he concludes with these pointed questions. Is such thinking justified? Does God work that way? He says the answer to to both questions is no, because God's blessing does not depend on our performance. Why then do we think that it does? We think this way because we believe that God's blessing somehow is conditioned upon our spiritual performance. Let me give you an example. And everybody's going to know this. It comes from TBN, right? Because Benny Hinn's all over the news because he's rejected his so-called prosperity gospel. This misconception forms the basis for the false prosperity gospel. What is the prosperity gospel? At its core, it is nothing more than a covenant of works. It works like this. Do this and be blessed. Do this and prosper. Don't do this and be a pauper. Now, listen carefully. We rightly criticize this false gospel. It's not a gospel. But listen carefully. We can easily fall prey ourselves in trying to relate to God on the basis of a covenant of works ourselves. We think that if we've performed well and had a good day, we're in a position for God to bless us. That is a covenant of works. If I do certain things, then I can get God to come through for me. Such thinking of a covenant of works is even worse and stronger on a bad day. On a bad day, it works like this. Bridges explains it to us. He says, there is virtually no doubt on a bad day that we have forfeited God's favor for some period of time. Most likely until the next day. Now, for me, for the first 30 years of my life under Lordship Salvation, it was for the next two weeks. He says, I've asked people why they think God would probably not use them to share the gospel with someone on a bad day. And a typical reply is this, quote, I wouldn't be worthy. I wouldn't be good enough. 
And so then the question becomes, well, how good is good enough? How good is good enough? Bridges says if God's blessings were dependent on our performance, they would be meager indeed. In fact, they would be non-existent. He says, because even our best works are shot through with sin with varying degrees of impure motives and lots of imperfect performance. This is what the Heidelberg Catechism teaches in question 62 in the Heidelberg Catechism. It asks this question. Listen to this question carefully. Why can't our good works be the whole or just part of our righteousness before God? And here's the answer. Because the righteousness which can stand before the judgment seat of God must be perfect throughout. It must be perfectly conformable to the entire law of God. But even as believers, our best works in this life are still imperfect and defiled with sin. And so Bridges, he concludes by stating this, this, this very important truth that I want you to get this morning. Get this. He says, your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And he says, and your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. You see, the good day scenario, it illustrates the Pharisee type of believer who unconsciously thinks that they've earned God's favor and blessings through their good day performance. The bad day scenario illustrates the guilt-laden type of believer. And the the guilt-laden type of believer is quite sure that they have forfeited God's favor and blessings through their prevalence of disobedience and and their constant failures. But you see, the problem with both the Pharisee type of believer and the guilt-laden believer is the same problem. It is the sin of unbelief. They have both slipped into this performance mentality with God, and they've forgotten the meaning of grace. They have both set the gospel aside, and they are trying to relate to God under a covenant of works, do this and live, do this and be blessed, do this and lose God's blessing. That is a covenant of works. They have set the gospel aside. And so both types of believers fail to see their constant need to hear the gospel and relate to God on the basis of Christ alone. And how easily we slip into one of these two errors on any given day. And so we have to unlearn this old deep-rooted idea that though we are saved by grace, we earn or forfeit God's blessings in our daily lives by our performance. We must unlearn this. We have to learn that every day of our Christian life is relating to God through Christ alone. And so it is only by a continual reminder of the gospel that keeps us from falling into this good day, bad day thinking scenario. Whether we have a good day or whether we have a bad day, we don't look to that. We look to faith by Christ alone. Listen, instead of Christ plus our performance for our acceptance and favor before God. 
So that's the first misconception. Second, here's what we have to unlearn. We have to unlearn, listen, that thinking that the gospel is only for the unbeliever. We have to unlearn this. And to illustrate this common misconception, uh, Bridges gives us a timeline of our life. And he says, I want you to consider a timeline that has three points of destination for your life. You have your birth, you have the day of your salvation, and you have your death. And he says, regardless of your age or when you trusted Christ, because some people, they just, they don't know. They didn't have that crisis moment experience, right? That revivalistic tendency that is in, in the church. He says, regardless of any of that, regardless of your age, when you trusted Christ, the cross of Christ divided your life into two periods. It divided your life into an unbeliever and into a believer, And he says, so with this timeline in mind, unbeliever, believer, divided by the cross, he says, what one word, what one word describes what you need to hear most as an unbeliever? And he says, of course, I would suggest to you that that is the gospel. Thanks, John. We'll pick up with this message next time called Common Misconceptions About the Christian Life. It's from the Gospel Mystery of Sanctification series. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time 